Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Amen. Anybody watched an NFL game recently? I'm sure. Jeff has. He's wearing his Tampa Bay sweatshirt. Wears Tampa Bay every Sunday because that's how he gets spiritual. But on his Tampa Bay stuff, it helps him get in the presence of the Lord, right? We have a, huh? Nothing like prayer. You need to pray more. That's right. We're going to talk about prayer this morning, but I find it fascinating, right? The NFL has experienced some things this year that, that your old school NFL fans, you know, the guys that go to the Raiders game with the gray face paint on, I mean, I'm talking the diehards, you know, are now having to meet a Swifty for the first time. And they're like, what is this? And why are they at my football game, right? But we have this blend of this weirdness, right? You ever been, you ever been either at your house or at a game or even talking to one of these people, right? And they're like, oh, I just hope... I hope that her boyfriend catches it and makes a basket, right? And he gets down there without any, and they're saying all the wrong things and they have no idea what they're talking about. And you're like, okay, we need, you know, there's a couple responses to that. First of all is sit down. Let me, let me tell you the rules of the game because you are mixing it up. There's, there's no home runs here today, right? <laughs> it's not going to be any soccer goals, right? There's no red card. He won't be thrown out with the red. There's, you you got to understand the rules of this game if you're going to sit next to me. Otherwise, we're going to need to find you a different seat because <laughs> it's going to drive me nuts, right? You know, as a pastor, I feel that way a lot of times. I'm sitting next to somebody. And they look at me and they talk about prayer. And I'm all, okay, if you're going to pray, I need to teach you the rules. There's rules when it comes to prayer. There's different kinds of prayer, right? And if I use the rules for one kind of prayer and a different kind of prayer and then don't see the results that I'm looking for and blame God when I was trying to play football, basketball rules, who am I to blame? Who am I to blame, right? There's rules when it comes to prayer. But as a church... We don't want to be the person that says, let me find you a different seat in the stadium so that I can enjoy this game, right? When we run across somebody that doesn't understand prayer, we don't look at them and say, you just need to get out of my sight. We look at them and say, I need to show you. I need to teach you. We need to be that kind of fan that's so passionate about the game, so passionate about prayer that we want everyone to understand the game so that they can enjoy it better. We want everyone to understand prayer so that their prayer life changes. Where we care about people just as much as we are passionate about the game, we have to care about people just as much as we're passionate about Jesus, right? Our pursuit of him and our pursuit and our relationship with him has to be so passionate we don't want to leave people behind. We want to change Swifties into NFL fans to a point to where they're like, who's Taylor Swift, right? Okay. I don't know that it'll ever go that far, but we can try, right? So let's open to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and this can be the verse that we're using for a couple weeks because this, this uh, discussion of prayer is going to take several weeks because there is a lot in the Bible. I mean, there are many different kinds of prayer. But Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. The Passion Translation, which you don't have, Dave, says this, pray passionately in the spirit 
as you consistently intercede with every form of prayer at all times, pray the blessings of God upon all his believers. Amplified says, pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer. So what he's basically saying here, when I go through all the translations and you, and you break this down, when it says with all prayer, it's basically saying with all kinds of prayer. You have to recognize, I like sports, right? But if I'm gonna play a different sport, which in high school, a lot of kids were playing multiple sports, different things, I have to understand the rules of each sport so that I compete in the sport that I'm playing in. You have to understand the rules of prayer so that you're using the right rules at the right time to get the result that you're looking for, okay? Now, in the Bible, some, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of prayers. There's the prayer of faith, which is actually the one I'm hoping to get to today. There's the prayer of consecration, the prayer of commitment, the prayer of worship. There's the prayer of agreement, prayer in the spirit or speaking in tongues, which we've talked about uh, when we were back at the house. We did several weeks on that. That'll be coming up soon. Prayer of agreement talked about that united or corporate prayer. There's a Bible has a whole section where it talks about when the church comes together to pray is a completely different anointing when we are all praying together, right? Prayer of supplication. There's intercessory prayer. And those are just a list of some. There, there's a bunch of prayer in the Bible, right? And we're going to spend a few weeks and we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about the most common types of prayer. But before we do that, I wanna do this. I wanna go and I wanna talk about some things that are wrong. Now, um, it was interesting, we were talking about Mardi Gras and he was telling me before about Mardi Gras has its foundations in some religious beliefs and ties into um, Catholicism, I guess is what we're saying with the, the Fat Tuesday and all this stuff. I didn't know any of that. I didn't really grow up Catholic. I, um, I grew up more in a non-denominational church, so I didn't realize the ties that it has there. But there's a lot of things that we do in our prayer life it's kind of like grandma's pan. Have you ever heard the adage of grandma's pan? Like, oh, I mean, I've said this before. You guys never heard this one? So it was a young lady that got married and they were getting ready to go to Christmas and they didn't have enough money to travel home. So she wanted to make a Christmas ham for her husband. They just got married. So they're in the kitchen. They're all lovey-dovey and kissing on each other, making the Christmas ham, you know, and they've agreed to put the pineapple on top and the recipe. Well, right before she puts it in the pan, she cuts the ends off both ends of the, of the ham to put it in the pan and her husband loses it. She goes, the ends are, he's like, the ends are fought over in our house. Everybody wants the end piece. Why in the world did you cut the ends off? She goes, this is how my mom told me how to make this ham. So she called mom up. Mom, why in the world did I make this ham? She goes, this is your grandmother's recipe. So she, okay, she calls up grandma. And she said, grandma, why do we cut the ham off? Does it make it tender, juicy? And grandma said, no, my pen was too small. There are, re, there are traditions that are passed down from generation to generation where we have no idea why we're doing what we're doing or the benefit thereof, and yet we continue to do it and expect results when what does the Word say? This, the Word of God, the Bible, is our infallible source. That is our foundation of truth, the foundation of the belief system, the foundation of our faith, right? Our faith has to be built on the Word. Us, we're the not wise man who builds his house on the sand, and when trials come, it blows it away. This Word of God is the rock in which he's built his church and is the foundation of the most secure house you can have when you build your life on the word. So I might be kicking some sacred cows today and they might start mooing. I might, I might mention something that you're like, well, I've done that my whole life. And well, I'm sorry, but I wanna go back to what does the Bible say, right? This is the number one thing I've heard the most when it comes to prayer that people use incorrectly is that they say Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be thy will. And so they'll be praying, Lord, I, I have, you know, cancer 
And if it be thy will, I'm praying for healing. What they're doing is they're using the rules for the prayer of consecration and trying to tie that into the prayer of faith, and it's nullifying their faith. Only once in the Bible did Jesus ever pray, if it be thy will. And it was the prayer of consecration where he was basically praying, I need to do your will instead of my will. That's the only time Jesus said that. When we use the prayer of faith, which we're going to talk about a little later today, the prayer of faith is based on the fact we already know what his will is, and there is no if it be thy will. If you don't know the will of the Father, you can't get in faith and pray the prayer of faith. I can't believe God for something if I don't know what his will is, which is why we study the scriptures, to know the will of the Lord, to build the foundations of belief, to strengthen our faith, to be able to pray the prayer of faith, right? The Bible says you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I know that I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That has built a belief system in me based off faith that I know it's going to happen. Not because I have any sort of power, but because God said, if you do this in obedience, that's that prayer of faith and faith will happen. Okay. Now, here's another problem too. People will, they, they don't understand faith. Oh, I'm going I'm to skip that later on. I'm getting ahead of myself. The other thing is praying the wrong way. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to pick on Catholics this morning. I know some people grew up Catholicism and all the roots and everything, and I'm not trying to pick on them. Anybody that leads somebody to Jesus is somebody that leads somebody to Jesus. But I can't find in the scriptures anywhere, and I even went online and did some research of the praying to the saints. Now, I really noticed this in a TV show I was watching, that they always had these medallions. There's the patron saint of prostitutes, and there's the patron saint of, of this, and the patron saint of that. And I know they... They pray to Mary, and there's several things in the Catholic religion they were talking about praying to different things. My problem with that is I can't find it in Scripture anywhere. As a matter of fact, the Catholics don't even use Scripture when they talk about Mary because when they're talking about Mary, the Catholic leaders say that it's a veneration, not a praying to. Now, I had to look, what that, I had to look this all up because I wasn't quite understanding what they were trying to say. But in other words, they were saying that you pray through Mary, not to Mary. And that's a veneration versus a praying too. At this point, we need to be fair. I, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in the Catholic religion, but I still don't find this in the word anywhere. And they, even when I went to the Catholic church and did some research, this is something they teach, something they encourage their people to do, but they have no scriptures in the Bible that back it up. There's no word of God that says pray through Mary, right? The only scripture in the Bible is what it says in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. The only way to heaven is through the name of Jesus, right? And we'll get there in just a second. But it's, I can't do something if I can't find the word of God to say this is how I'm supposed to do this. If I want my prayers to be effective, then I need to follow the rules laid out in the Bible, right? So Jesus in the New Testament taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray multiple times throughout the New Testament. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. It also says in John 14, 13, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will I also do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16, 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing, right? So it's in other words, we don't pray to Jesus either. If you're praying to Jesus, it's wrong. You are praying to the Father, your authority to get to the Father is because you have Jesus' name. He is the key to the kingdom. He is the way into heaven. Does that make sense? 
So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have access to God the Father because of the price that Jesus paid. He is our access into the throne room. Now in the Old Testament, back when there were kings, it was a semblance of, of heaven. But in the Old Testament, when there was a king, right? And this, this, we learn this in the story of Esther, for those that have studied the story of Esther. But basically, you don't run into the throne room. If you were to come into the throne room without being invited by the king, you'd be killed. I mean, it was very serious. You did not have the authority to be in the throne room. So when she ran into the throne room, when Esther ran in to plead the king for her people, she was at risk of her life, right? And he ended up saying, no, don't kill her. I want to listen to her, right? And it's the same thing in the kingdom of heaven. You have access to the throne room because of Jesus. God the Father is who is answering prayers. When we pray, we pray to God in Jesus' name, right? That's like saying, I have the authority, right? So if, if Brock is now at UWF, right? And he goes to UWF and says, my dad's gonna pay all the tuition, even though I've not told him I'm gonna pay any of the tuition, right? He's trying to have access to a benefit without a relationship or my word. So there's a lack. There's a lot of people that try to have access to heaven without the benefit of Jesus and they wonder why their prayers aren't working. You have the relationship, you accept the price that is paid with Jesus and gives you access to the throne. That's what he's teaching us. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you, not me. See, even Jesus doesn't have control over his second coming, right? It says Jesus doesn't even know the day or the hour. It's God the Father that knows the day or the hour of his second coming back. So we have to understand the rules, right? How many times, I was watching a video recently where I was talking about smart football players, and there was a football player where the kick was coming down, and it was gonna hit the two-yard line, and it was a beautiful kick, and he stepped out of bounds, dove back in and caught the ball. Therefore, the ball was then out of bounds, and they got it on the 20-yard line because he knew the rules. When you know the rules of the kingdom, that you have access to the Father through Jesus' name, you, it's basically, you get the cheat code. Know the game that you're playing. Know the prayer that you want to pray and you will see the most results. And it says this, surely ask whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing on my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He's telling you, you have access to the Father in my name. So ask. And there's where a lot of Christians stumble because they say, I know God wants me to have something. I know God wants this because I've read it in the word and they just hope that God sends it their way. There is a requirement for you to do something. You have to open your mouth. You have to ask, that's prayer. You have to say, okay, God, you know, I'm coming to the court. I have access into this court with Jesus as my representative. He gives me access to the Father. I can now go to the Father in Jesus' name and ask what he's already promised right? Because he already promised healing. He already promised provision. He already promised supply. He already promised peace. I know this because it's in the word of God. So I'm only going and asking for what he already promised, what he's already shown us. Now, let's go to where Jesus talks about pray this way, right? Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that everyone knows. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's break it down. What is he teaching us here, right? 
Now at the very beginning he says, in this manner. So he's telling us, this is a pattern for your prayer life. If you take this pattern and apply it to any form of prayer, it'll work. This is teaching us how to pray. In this manner, therefore, pray. First of all, our Father. You're going to God the Father in Jesus' name. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You should always open prayer with worship and thanksgiving. Always. Always. You come to the Father and you're like, holy man, I'm just so, I'm just in awe of your presence. I'm just so amazed that you would send your son. You should begin to worship him. Holy, worthy of worship. That word hallowed means set apart, not blended into. God should have a set apart portion of your life. That honor, that reverence. This, I'm setting apart this for you. Every morning, you should set apart time for God. Spend time reading your word. Spend time in the scriptures. Spend time learning what he's already promised us, right? Because if you don't know what he's promised, you end up like the man. There was a story back in the 1920s, back, in, back when you couldn't fly to Europe. You had to get on a boat, right? And you're paying to get on a boat. And he wanted to come to America. And there was a ticket that he paid for, and he got on the boat, and he made it on the boat. But it's like a two-week boat ride from Europe to America. So he was in his room. He did good for a few days. But it gets to the end of week one, and he is starving. And he ran out of the few provisions that he put in his bag, you know, and he decides, oh, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And he kind of wanders the ship, and he sees the banquet hall. He's like, I don't, didn't bring any extra money. I don't have all this stuff. I don't know what to do. And the steward sees him longing through the windows and comes up and says, you want to make a plate? And he goes, I didn't bring any extra money. He said, that food was included in your ticket. See, he went a whole week starving himself because he didn't know the benefits that were already promised him. So many Christians go through their life starving themselves of blessings because they don't know what God already promised them. This is, there's promises in the Bible that he says, they're already in place. I want you to walk the faith walk and the healing walk to where your life is completely healed and whole. He wants us to walk so close with him that we don't even have to stand in faith for healing because we walk the perfect healing walk. He wants our life to be blessed, right? It's not about just having banks full because that's not how God operates, you know? Jesus had a money bag and 12 disciples and he covered everybody's expenses while traveling on the road, basically, right? So he wasn't without money, right? But if I had my wallet and 12 families that I'm supporting and they're traveling with me, right? And someone takes a, a couple dollars and I don't have a whole lot of money, I'm going to notice a couple dollars missing, right? Jesus traveled and someone was stealing from his money purse. And yet it was, it, it, there's so many scriptures in the New Testament. Jesus wasn't poor. They used a scripture that said he had no place to lay his head. That's because he didn't own a house because the house wasn't important to him. If you think about it, he traveled all the time. He was on the, he was doing, he was going where the father sent him and everywhere he went, they needed to go get a donkey to ride in. They went and got a donkey. God provided, needed to pay taxes. Well, he went fishing, right? Go fishing to pay taxes. We've talked about that before, right? But the Lord provided for him and he did not go without. As a matter of fact, when he passed away, they gambled over his clothing because his garment was seamless. I mean, it was like a really nice piece of clothing. There's nowhere in the scriptures that I can read in the New Testament where it says you have to walk a line of poverty. God does, doesn't necessarily want you to have your bank accounts packed full, right? There's nothing wrong with having money and savings and planning for the future. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But usually when the money gets too much, it starts becoming more of a God. And he says, what's more important, right? What happens to a sheep when they get too much wool? They get fleece. There's a time where he's saying, well, are you trusting me to bring it back? If I'm telling you to give, are you going to give? 
Or are you going to hold on to it, right? Because the, the faith then shifts. So what happens when money collects in the bank account? I don't know why I'm off on this particular tangent. It's not even in my notes. Money collects in a bank account. Our faith changes to the money and away from God. And the money will eventually run out where our source of supply will never run out. When you keep your eye on the source and not the resource or the savings, your supply will never run out. You have to, we have to keep that in mind. He is our supply, not the bank account. doesn't matter what the bank account says. doesn't matter what the checking account says. He's our supply, right? And when we have all of this, it was, it was supplied by him in the first place. So if he says, I need you to give, I need you to donate and do whatever, we're obedient and give it. So, well, he gave me that, he'll give me more. That's how God operates. That's the life that we need to be living. That's what I see in the New Testament. Now, hallowed be thy name, set apart. Is there reverence in your life to the Father? Do you set apart time for Him? You know, it talks about bringing your tithes into the storehouse, a 10%, right? How many of you tithe of your morning coffee time to sit and talk to Jesus? Or how many of us, it's more important. I, I travel with the person once there was business going on and it happened to be two guys, so we had to share a room. But first thing in the morning, wanted to get up and turn the news on. I'm like, the news is not what I want to hear first thing in the morning, right? It just set my day bad. It set the tone of my day. I don't want to listen to a bunch of news, and especially nowadays, just a bunch of garbage, right? I want quiet. I want to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to know what's going on in the presence of heaven so that my day, even though I'm working and doing a job, I still want my day to be lined out right. So what is the first thing? More, you won't see a lot of news, but you'll see a lot of reflex, right? What's the first thing? Because this whole world has changed us to where you don't need an alarm clock anymore. You got your cell phone. It's got time on it. It's got an alarm on it. Why? So the first thing you do when you roll over in the morning is look at your phone. What's the first thing you see when you look at your phone? Notifications. And instantly your attention is turned. It's hard to shift back. I try to set the pattern and habit in the morning. I got my watch as my alarm, right? So my watch goes off. I turn it off. I want to just thank him. Before I ever get out of bed, before I ever grab my phone, before I ever get anywhere else, thank you, Jesus. I'm alive. I'm awake for another day right? And I just want to put him first. I want to give him first thought, first place, first in everything that I do. Is he first in your life? Is he a focus on what's going on in your life? Or is he an afterthought? Is he, I might squeeze him in sometime today if I have time when the day gets busy and away from me and it never happens. Is he first? Do you take the time when you pray to honor the Lord? Now it says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of consecration. Basically saying the kingdom of heaven is, is, supersedes the kingdom of this earth and your will supersedes my will. I want to put your kingdom first, your ways of doing things first, your thoughts first, your thoughts higher than my thoughts, your will above my will. That's what it's saying here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm amazed at the number of people throughout the years that have prayed this without meaning it. Your will be done and then go do whatever they want to do. It's a prayer of consecration. And then in verse 11, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, a lot of people have misinterpreted this throughout the years of, well, God's just gonna give us all the food that we wanna eat or whatever. Let's dissect this. That word bread is the same word used in reference to the communion table, okay? So it's asking the Father to provide for us through our covenant. But in that give us this day our daily bread, I am remembering, do this in remembrance of me, I'm remembering our covenant and in this covenant the benefits of it. But I'm only looking at the benefits through the eyes of the covenant. See, we get that wrong. 
First of all, a lot of people go right to the give us this day our daily bread. Father, these are all the things I need. And they only come with prayers of petition all day long. And there's no faith involved, right? We have to understand our benefit comes from being in covenant with him and honoring the covenant first before asking about the blessing. You honor the covenant every day when you pray. Now, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you know that forgiveness will always work best when you give it first? Always. Always. You will always receive forgiveness if you are one that gives lots of forgiveness. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The Passion Translation says this. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil is what it says. Rescue me. I'm going to go through my day today and I'm going to face tribulation. I'm going to face temptation. I'm going to face trials, things that try to take me out of this covenant relationship, things that try to take me out. I was talking to Jeff last night about the, I've, in my lifetime, and you know, I've driven various companies, whatever, I've been in four semi accidents where the semi was totaled. One of the times they were shocked. I, I mean, I could go, I did a whole sermon once on the nine different times the devil tried to kill me, tried to take me out. I should be dead riding my motorcycle to work one morning when a guy had a dual axle, uh, 15 foot pull behind enclosed trailer that he didn't hook up right. It came unhooked and went behind, I could feel the breeze, went behind my bicycle by inches, my motorcycle. And all I was wearing was a beanie helmet. I'd have been dead, hit full on by a trailer. What happened that morning when I got up to leave the house that morning? My wife, who if you know my wife, is not a morning person, at 5 a.m. the Lord woke her up and said, pray for your husband. And that was the moment I was walking out the door. She got out of bed and started praying. And that morning, had the, we not honored him in our prayer life, she'd be without a husband. We'd only been married months. Didn't have kids, nothing. We were still living in Tulare in the old house with the walls with no insulation in Southern California where you'd roll. We had our bed up against the wall. And you roll over in the morning, your arm would touch the wall, and it would burn your arm because the wall was so hot because there was no insulation. And I was like, ah, oh, oh, it was hot. We had shag carpet that you probably could lose small children in. <laughs> We had, we had kitchen cabinets that were metal. Do you remember metal kitchen cabinets? Oh, my gosh. I don't know whose idea that was. It was horrible. It's horrible. That house was, was our very first home ever as husband and wife. It was pitiful. Pitiful. But had she not got up and honored the Lord when he said, pray, pray now, there's so many times the devil's tried to take me out. There's so many times that I've needed to be rescued from tribulation and set free from evil. But that's what happens when we spend time putting him first in our prayer life every morning. We are setting ourselves up for success. And I think about this when I'm going down the road. And you can think about this when you're going throughout your day. There's been times where I'm like, oh, this is silly. This is holding me up and it's nothing and this is nonsense. And now I'm 10 minutes later than I wanted to be. Then four hours later, there's this massive accident that just happened and I'm kind of getting around it going, could have been me. Lord might have delayed me 10 minutes so I wasn't involved in something. And I just say, you know what? Whatever delay, Father, you'll make up the time if I need to be there. If not, well, then I didn't need to be there. And not letting things like that ruin your day. Not letting things like that pull you into tribulation and trials and points of evil, but just giving God the glory in everything. In everything. Now, says don't it also says don't let us be put into the ordeal of testing and also uh, and here's the thing god doesn't test men he doesn't tempt men 
right? That's also a misconception. Well, God's putting me through trial. God's trying to see if I'm faithful. No, in James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one who is tempted, when he is drawn away, he's drawn away by his own desires. Temptation comes because we're still fighting the fight of our flesh. Our flesh that wants to do something wrong. It is not God that tempts us. It's usually our own fleshly desires dying to the will of the Father. Now, today I want to touch on the prayer of faith. We'll keep going for a little while. We're doing good on time. Amen. Jeff said I could preach till 1 o'clock today because the first game didn't matter. So was there a game today? There is a game today. 12. Got to wrap this up. All right. Amen. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we're already late. Then I could just keep going. It's all good. This morning, I want to touch on the prayer of faith next week, which is, it ties in closely with the prayer of agreement, but I want to clarify some, some things here. So the prayer of faith, this is the one that was really ingrained to us at Rhema. I went to Rhema Bible Training Center, which is Kenneth Hagin Ministries, and he is called the father of faith. He was the first one back in the 20s and 30s. He got healed of an incurable blood disease, completely healed, gave his life to God, and started preaching on faith. And that was his, his mandate at like 14 years old when the Lord appeared to him and said, teach my people faith. Teach them faith, what real faith is. Um, so the prayer of faith is all throughout the New Testament, but it is the prayer that we, we should know, we should understand. Between the prayer of faith and the prayer of agreement, as a Christian, as a, as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, we should be using these all the time, every day. So in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, this was right after Jesus had cursed the fig tree and they came back by the fig tree, right? And the disciples looked at him and said, look, the fig tree you had cursed it's gone, like, like you're, you said this, and it happened. And Jesus answered them and said, Have faith in God. Now, Passion Translation says this, Let the faith of God be in you. You can also translate it from the original Greek as an adjectival phrase, God-like faith or godly faith. In other words, have the God kind of faith. Not the human kind of faith, not the man kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. For assuredly I say unto you, whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he shall have whatsoever he says. Passion Translation says, listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to the mountain with great faith and having no doubt, mountain, be lifted up and cast into the midst of the sea and believes what he says will happen, it will be done. So let's dissect this a little bit because this is one of those ones where it's like, am I supposed to go to Mount Sinai and tell it to move? I mean, what's, what, is, there a, is this a literal thing? Is it, what, what, what am I trying to learn here, okay? Now, the Greek word for mountain, which is oros, is actually related to a verb that means to lift up, carry off, and take with you. Back in those times, they didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have the atom bomb. They didn't have man on the moon. They didn't have the power of our military, right, and our navy. I remember the first time my, my cousin served on an aircraft carrier, the USS Ronald Reagan and was talking about the vastness. I mean, this is a massive boat. 
Well, someone back in this day and age, they had no concept of that kind of power, that kind of authority. When they were looking at something that was massive and huge, it was a mountain. It was the biggest thing they could think of. Biggest thing they could compare anything to. That Greek oros means to lift up, to carry off, and to take the power of this mountain, that much authority, that much weight, that much kingdom. Now, the truth that Jesus brings us can also be a hyperbole, right? Talking about the active power of faith to take and carry the power and authority of the kingdom of heaven represented by the mountain, right? God's kingdom realm, wherever we go. Because when it says cast into the sea, it's talking about water, which is also talking about humanity. In other words, you wanna take the authority, vastness, and power, and the only thing he could use to describe the vastness of this power in the kingdom of heaven was the biggest thing he could lay his eyes on, which was a mountain. And use that and throw it into humanity to a sea change. That's faith. Faith is, use, is reaching into the kingdom realm, into the spiritual realm, and grasping onto your healing, your prosperity, your provision, all the blessings and promises that he has for us. Because when we get to heaven, perfection's already done. His rule and reign is supreme. Right now, the God of this world is the devil. And what we have in this world is chaos. If God in heaven was the God of this world, everything would be perfect and in order. But we have the devil ruling and reigning supreme and the chaos is reigning. But he's saying as a Christian, because you are now a member of that kingdom, you can reach into the authority of that kingdom and bring in right order into this world. Just like as a ambassador to a different nation, you can go into a nation that has chaos going on and reach into the authority and power of the United States and bring in an aircraft carrier and bring right order. He's teaching us how to access the things of heaven to affect change and order in the world that we're in right now. That's what it says. Speak to the, he whoever speaks to the mountain commands it to be cast in the sea. In other words, I'm speaking into the things of heaven and I'm telling it to be cast in so that the things in the ways of heaven can affect change and things on the earth. And in verse 24, he says this, therefore I say to you, he's showing us this is how it's done now I'm going to do it. In other words, you need to speak. So by showing you, I'm going to lead by example. I am going to speak. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There's authority in speaking it out. So he spoke it out and showed them this. Now, how can a Christian or a believer, this seems vast, right? And this Bible verse has been overused and misused a lot. Well, it says here, if whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. I'm going to be a millionaire, right? How many preachers have we heard say that? I'm going to be a millionaire. All right. So how can we truly believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He doesn't lie. So when he said, ask when you pray, believe you receive, you shall have them. We know this is true. We know this statement is true. We need to understand why is it true? See, what's happening when they say, I'm going to be a millionaire, is they're applying worldly thinking to a godly principle expecting a godly result. We have to apply godly thinking, kingdom-minded thinking, to a kingdom principle to see a kingdom result. That is the order and the rules that apply to this prayer. So let's turn to John chapter 15. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, John 15, seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you'll bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Okay, so if you want the ability to ask when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have, you have to first be abiding in him. What does that word abide mean? That word abides mean I'm hanging in your presence. I'm living in your presence. That word abide is vast, consumed by, overwhelmed by. I want saturated in. You have to understand that if I have no relationship with Jesus or with the Father, how can I ever expect the kingdom blessings, the kingdom principles, the kingdom things to work in my life if I have no relationship with the King? If I don't know Him, if I'm not abiding in Him, if I haven't surrendered my life to these kingdom principles, right? And I know this works because I've seen business people apply scriptural principles to their business and they'll happen. How many times have you worked for a boss that wanted you to surrender your will to the business will? And he want that there are businesses out there. There's a few that I had to walk away from because they wanted to be first. They wanted to be God. When the boss said go, right? And the reward of that was I will give you more money. But what's, what's happening, because he realizes this is a business principle. Anybody willing to, to submit to that, live their life to that, he's got a productive employee that's going to produce a lot for that particular business, and he's going to reward it with money. But what is the eternal reward? What's happened by doing that is you've moved your source of supply to a man, to a business, instead of your source of supply coming from the kingdom which is why anytime I've ended up in a job or a position where they wanted that job or position to be my life and to be my everything, they wanted me to completely surrender to the business and what's going on and want you to live life that way, I've walked away. There is no job in this world other than the calling of being a pastor of a church that I'll ever surrender my life to, period. I don't care how much money you're throwing my way. I don't care how much money you're giving me. It's not worth it. It's not going to be first. Now I can work a job and I can bring the kingdom of heaven into this job and I can bring prosperity to that job because everywhere I go is blessed. Every job I work for is blessed. Every employer I work for is blessed. I had an employer back in, back in Illinois when I would go on vacation and come back from vacation, he would look at me. I would always walk to the door, hey, good to see you. I've been back, it's been gone a week. And he goes, remind me again why I let you leave. He'd always say that every time. It was jokingly. You know, he says, I just forget how much you do while you're here because that's how I operated. <laughs> I operated by saying, if I'm here and I'm a representation of Jesus, why wouldn't I give my best while I'm here, right? It used to annoy the heck out of me, Christians in the workforce that said, well, I need to tell people about Jesus, right? When they're paying, their, they're paying you to do a job. Yes, you could tell people about Jesus, but that doesn't mean you don't do your job, right? They end up just going around talking all the time and getting absolutely nothing done. What representative of Jesus is that? You can do your job and tell people about Jesus. It is possible. It is not an excuse. But that your job and how you work under your employer should be a reflection of your working unto the Lord. And it says that in the New Testament. Now, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. So in other words, if I take that principle and apply it to Matthew 24, therefore I say to every things, whatever things you ask when you pray, what am I asking when I pray? Well, his words abiding in me, my prayers that are coming out are gonna be his words because his words are abiding in me and that's what's coming out. So I know that I can believe to receive them when I know it's his words that are coming out of me because I've spent so much time in his presence, it's coming out because I've abided in him. See, what is happening is, is when you get your selfish will involved and try to use your selfish word will to believe that you received the million dollars, you're going to get off. Now, that doesn't mean we have this wonderful Christianity of pendulums. People always swing one side to the other, one extreme to the other. Okay, so if I can't believe God for a million dollars, he wants me to be completely poor. No, there is a middle ground, Right? Because it takes money to run a church. It takes money to live your life. You know, I can't just move into a house and expect Florida Power and Light to keep my power bill on without sending them any money. Right? Same in this place. It'd be really cold in here this morning with no lights and heaters. Right? It takes money to live in this world. God is not against money. But the reason that it's brought up in the New Testament, the several things, money and lust and several others, is because they become gods. They become first. They become the, what you're seeking after instead of the abiding. See, if you're abiding in him, what you're asking for is based on that relationship you have with him because you know the will in the heart of the Father. And he'll provide all of the tools, money, means, exercise, knowledge, ability, skills, energy. There's times where I'm saying, God, you're telling me to do this and I'm just tired. I need your supernatural strength. I remember one year at summer camp, we had run this summer camp. I, our leaders... We're social groups, man. We'd stay up. The kids would go to bed 11 or 12, and we're up till 3 in the morning playing games and fellowshipping and just having a good old time. But you get to like that third day, and you're not a teenager, you know, and you're, you're feeling it. And I remember, as a matter of fact, so we started summer camp. Man, that was all fire all the time. But the last two or three years we were there at summer camp, I wasn't telling anybody. I was sneaking off in the afternoon and taking two-hour naps. I'm like, I can't make it through this without a nap. I am not going to survive this. I'm going to be miserable. And, and then I also know me. What happens when dad gets really tired? Yep, there's the two things. My back starts hurting and I get really cranky, right? So we don't need any of that. I don't need to be in pain or cranky when we're trying to produce the kingdom of God at summer camp, Right? But I remember it was a, a friend of ours, Miss Brandy, who started believing God. She said, I am not feeling whatever. I need supernatural caffeine. And the power of God came on her, and she goes, I don't know that I'm ever going to pray for that again. I couldn't sleep. I'm wide awake. <laughs> like she had the supernatural energy to produce the kingdom. See, God says, I'll provide whatever is necessary to get the kingdom produced in this world, whether that's money, energy, knowledge, skills, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. When you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you, whatever you ask, what you desire. See, you'll ask what you desire because your desires are gonna be based off the fact that you are abiding in him and your desires are gonna be aligned with his desires because you're gonna know the heart of the father. You're gonna know the heart of the father. That's how I look at the prodigal son. What was the heart of the father? He wanted his son back. He, man, he was, he was grieving. My son is in, the, in pigs and gone and he needs to be here clothed in righteousness wearing rings of authority having the blessings and the benefits of being in the home and when the son came back he celebrated and said this is what i want but the whole church world right now is the brother in the house 
They've been there. They go to church every Sunday. But all of a sudden, the one that was living in the world comes back, and they're like, really? You know where that brother should have been? At the end of the driveway, right next to the dad, celebrating the return of his brother. But what does it tell me? He wasn't abiding. He was wanting the benefits of the kingdom, upset when the fatted calf was killed for someone else, which tells me his eye was on the calf, not the father. His eye was on the blessing, not the blesser. But how many church world people are that way? Where all they look at is the benefits of the kingdom and they have no relationship with the father because if he had a relationship in the heart of the father, he'd have been in the end of the right next to his dad celebrating his brother's return. Don't be the brother in the house. Don't be that brother. Now, you ask what you desire because your desires will be lined with him and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified. In other words, you're abiding in me. We're producing the kingdom and God is the one that gets the glory. If something is produced out of your life and you're seeking the glory, you know you're not abiding in the father right. You're not doing it right. I don't stand here and pastor because I want to be some famous person. I don't care. I am going to preach the exact same right now as if there were 2,000 people sitting here, which would be really crowded in this small building, <laughs> right? And the floor would definitely collapse. But it doesn't matter. And I've been that way for, I've preached in front of, I've stood up, we were on a Lularo cruise, I stood up in front of 3,000 people and did the exact same thing I did now with a little bit of a twist because it wasn't a sermon. Although when I was done and I got off the stage, the owner's father looked at me and said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, I can tell, I can tell. Because it's who I am, who I am. I'm going to share the word no matter what. It doesn't matter to me the amount of people. The more people that want to listen, fantastic, because the more lives that want to get changed. It's not about me. It's not about me. But it's about learning that now. And a lot of pastors, and we had this conversation with Jeff the other, it was kind of funny. A lot of preachers start off that way. A lot of politicians head off to Washington with the best intentions. And then what happens? Which is why it says here, by this the Father is glorified. If in the bearing the fruit, the glory goes to you, you're not abiding anymore. You've walked away from the abiding relationship and gone back into the flesh and soul. We have to be guarded of that, guarded of that. I keep people close to me just to say, be watchful, be watchful. It's also why the number one position in a church that causes church splits is worship leader. Worship leaders cause more church splits in the United States than any other position in the church, right? Because that position easily turns into, look at my talent, look at me, look at me, instead of look at God. And what happens is, is they, well, all these people think I'm great because they're coming up telling me how great I am. I need to separate and do something else. It's a massive problem because they're no longer abiding. The glory is not going to God. See, here's all the different caveats. When it says, lead us not into temptation, this is all of the things he's trying to warn us. Beware of money. Beware of pride. Beware of lust, right? Especially us guys. Beware of lust. You're dealing with a problem with lust? Don't spend your days at the beach looking at bikini-clad girls. Don't set yourself up to fail, right? If you got a problem with something, if you're dealing with something, don't put yourself in a position to suffer even more. Avoid it. Find a section of the beach that's empty because the beach is still good. I love going to the beach, you know? But why put yourself in this problem to be tempted and then wonder why you're failing all the time? Now, by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God expects something out of abiding with Him. 
when we abide with him, right, and we begin to use our words to speak kingdom principles into this world to affect change, there's fruit that's born. There's the, this fruit that he wants, the most precious thing to God is people getting saved, salvations, people coming into the kingdom. He wants no one to go to hell, no one, no one. Prayer of faith can change things. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9. I love this story. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to finish with this and we'll wrap it up. Oh, we're doing good on time. Mark 9, 14. When Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when he saw them, all the people were greatly amazed. They turned towards him and greeted him. His reputation preceded him. Does your reputation precede you? And if so, what is it saying? What is it saying? Right? There's a reason why I did this to Jeff recently, and I don't always tell him why I do certain things, but I just showed up at his job. Matter of fact, he was in the parts truck. I saw, I saw Miss Deb when she was there too. He was in the parts truck, didn't even know I was there. So I went in, I knew generally where his area was, and so I sat down and just sat and listened. Just listen. It's a good 10, 15 minutes before he walked in. Miss Deb came out, marching orders, barking, you do this, and you, man, she was in go mode. Miss Deb was just cranking it out. And I thought, my, I just wanted to salute or something. I, Made me sit up straight. I tell you what, I'm Miss Deb giving orders. She is no nonsense, you know. And most people, when they see something out of place, like if I were to walk into my place of business and I would see Dave, I'd stop what I'm doing, walk over to, nope, not Miss Deb. She finished everything that needed to be done. And then she's, oh, that's right. And then walked over and said hi and said, you whatever. She was on a mission. I was very impressed by that. But, Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> Five cups of coffee that morning. But boy, they were snapping to attention. But when she came in, there was posture change across the whole shop when Miss Deb walked in. There was a recognition of authority. And, and, and there's an honor to that, too. There was an honor piece that was there. Whether you see it or not, it happened. But I like going into places and seeing. What's, the, what's Jeff's reputation? What's he known for, Right? What I know is, man, people know he's a resource and they're going to tap into that, ask him all kinds of questions. He's the go-to guy for this, that, and the other, and he just knows all this stuff and he's willing to help anyone that's out there. You know, and his reputation was, this guy is here to help me and he's on my side, he's got my back. But I love it. I love going into places. What's your reputation? What precedes you? How do people know you, right? Where it really bothered me is I remember when I first started working at the hospital, Remember, a few minutes ago, I talked about those Christians that just want to preach all the time and not do their job, and that annoys me. But I found myself in the first couple of years working at the hospital where I was all about working because I'm going to be a worker under the Lord. But out of nowhere, someone found out that I was assistant pastor at the church. and like, what? You're a pastor? And I went home that night, and it bothered me. Why don't they know I'm a pastor? Why isn't that part of my reputation known? Am I, just, am I, am I so concerned about being a good employee that I'm hiding it now? Am I like ashamed because of some other employee that did something wrong? And then I realized it tied all the way back into high school. This something I walked through in high school. I was trying to tell friends about Jesus. And then there was this one gal who shall remain nameless because that's not important. But there was this one gal that was one of those. You're going to hell. If you're going to make Christianity aggressive and sound like this and ruin my ability to talk to people, because immediately when I walk up and, hey, you want to come to youth group with me? Oh, you're one of those. What do you think? I'm going to hell. And I'm, oh my gosh, now I'm fighting against all this other nonsense, you know? But I found that that affected me. It changed me to where I was starting to not talk about who I am as a person. And because I was so focused on work and I was going to do this, and I don't want it to be that way. I want people to know. I want people to know 
this guy's a pastor, and this is, this is who he is. Now, it's not always been pleasant and roses, you know, oh, you're, you know, you get treated differently when people find out you're a pastor. You, you, you know, they start, they change the way they talk when you show up. Sometimes I wish some of them would change more of the way they talk when I show up, <laughs> but that's another story. Are people greatly amazed when you walk in the room? Anyway, verse 16, he asked his scribes, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought to you my son. He has a mute spirit. So there's a spirit involved here. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. They could not cast it out. Right? I asked him, can you cast it out? They couldn't cast it out. Verse 19, he answered and said, oh, faithless generation. He's telling us here, what you need is prayer of faith. Right? But there's actually a couple different levels when it talks about the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith and prayer of agreement also can work together in hand in hand. And I'll show you that here in a minute. Now, how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed. The, the spirit recognized the authority and began to act up. That'll happen in your life. When you walk in the spirit and you're abiding in him and you get near something that's wrong, it'll scream at you. It, it, it'll revolt because it recognizes I'm about to be in trouble here. This person has authority, right? What's the story in the New Testament where it says, Paul I know, Apollos I know, who are you? In other words, I know where the authority is because they are abiding. Who are you? Who are you? Now, it says, his father says, long has been happening. He asked him how long it had been happening to him. He says, it's been happening since childhood. Verse 22, and often he had thrown him both into the fire and into the water to try to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him that believes. So Jesus was going to use the prayer of faith, but he's also trying to teach because that's what Jesus came. He's trying to teach us something. He's also showing him the level of agreement. And immediately, verse 24, the father of a child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I'm trying, doing the best I can, right? But I'm new at this. I'm new at this. There are times in your life when you can use the prayer of faith for someone who's a baby Christian, right? See, if Daxel was a year old and still a little baby, he was a chunky, roly-poly, little cute little thing. We got some videos we were watching recently of Daxel. He always had this way that he talked with a little lisp, and he'd furrow his eyebrows and make little faces, you know. But if you came into church and Daxel was 12 months old and sitting on mom's lap and mom was playing with his hair, whatever, you go, oh, that's really cute. But if you walk into church and Aiden, 6'3", 200-some pounds, is sitting on Tiffany's lap, and she's all, oh, you look over and go, what is wrong with that picture, right? But see, here's the problem. When there's a Christian that comes in and they're a baby Christian, which is good, desire in the new, you know, the new board says desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby and they don't grow. We have some Christian who's, you know, 20 some years old expecting still to have a bottle and sit on mom's lap. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. But when they are a true baby, your prayer of faith can change things. God will use your faith even when they don't understand. That's what's happening here. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm not where you are. I'm new to this. I just heard that there was miraculous miracles happening and my son is being tormented. I want to believe that this is a newborn Christian right here. This is a newborn person that's just meeting Jesus, just understanding the principles. 
Jesus saw that the people came running together and rebuked the unclean spirit and said, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him because he was one as dead. Menly said he is dead because he looked like once spirits left, the body was limp. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come to the house, the disciples asked him privately, we'll, Okay, we'll get there in just a minute. Your faith will not only work for you, but you can also use your faith when you know your authority structure. And there's the intro to next week. We're going to talk about authority and the prayer of agreement. You have to know where your faith works. And you have to understand that when it's somebody else that is not in your house, you need to where two or more are gathered. Now I'm going to step into the prayer of agreement to help them get the result that they're looking for. Right? But I can use my faith for Daxel and Coben. They're still under 18, still in my house, still under my authority. The moment Aiden and Brock turned 18, my faith and my authority in their life changed. They're adults now. God looks at them and says, you need to use your faith. I can now shift and he can say, okay, dad, I'm believing God for this. And I could say, I agree with that. Let's ask together. Now we're in a prayer of agreement, both using our prayer of faith together because one can put a thousand to flight, two could put 10,000 to flight. We'll get into this next week. Just a little taste for you this week. But that prayer of faith and prayer of agreement can go hand in hand. But here's another area where a lot of people get wrong. I knew a guy once and, and he was talking to me, he said a friend of mine called to the hospital. He had a child that was in dire situation and he called in. And I called in and said, man, this child's going to be miraculously healed and walk off this bed. And I started praying and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I started asking him, well, what happened in this situation? Well, when I walked in, the dad told me they were sick and this and they're going to end up having surgery. And we were, just, we were just hoping that God could be with the doctors and guide them through the surgery. All right. So here's, let's break this down a little bit. He walked into a situation where the level of faith in the people with authority was in the doctors and coming through the surgery. And yet he wanted to use his faith at a different level for something different and then wondered why nothing happened because he tried to use his faith where he had no authority. I told them, I said, you're best off at that point to put your faith with their faith in the prayer of agreement at the level that they're at to see results. And what you can pray then is that they'll be healed quicker, they'll recover quicker, that it'll be a miraculous and it'll be a testimony to the doctors how quickly they recovered. See, when we don't know our authority, when we try to use our authority where we have no authority and then we don't see results and then we get frustrated with God and then we blame God. When in all reality, we're trying to shoot baskets when he's saying throw a touchdown. That makes sense? We have to understand our prayer life has some rules to it. And if you want to see change, if you want to abide in him and reach into the kingdom and see that kingdom produced in this world to see change in your life, you have to understand how it's done, the rules behind it, and how to use your faith and your authority. Your faith and your authority. My faith and my authority in their life because they're young and in my house and submitted to dad's authority is the highest. And my faith will supersede their faith because they are submission to me in my house, all right? Now, that same picture is very similar when it comes to a church. When you say, I'm going to make this my church and make this my pastor, something changes in the spirit and my ability to pray for you accelerates. It still, at that point, doesn't necessarily supersede your faith, but it gives me the ability to pray more and gives me a little more authority because you've now put yourself under authority, right? Military understands this really well. I have authority because I'm under authority. Everybody that's over me that has authority, they only have authority because they're under authority all the way up to the president. And the president has authority because supposedly he's under authority of the nation. 
suppose at least how it's supposed to work, but we all know that man's gotten involved and ruined it all. And nonetheless, you have authority when you're under authority. I have a pastor. Pastor Doug and Lucinda Lee, they're up in Illinois, the church that sent us here. That's the authority that my life is in submission to. I carry authority because I'm under authority, right? Ultimately, as this church, I'm submitted to the authority of the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. That's where the authority comes from, the authority from the kingdom. So when you recognize I can have authority when I'm under authority, you can also recognize if I submit myself to someone with a higher position of authority, I give them more voice to speak into my life, which is why it's important. You need to be in the church God's sending you to. And I'll tell you right now, if God's not sending you to living where Pensacola, then find where he's supposed to send you. Because where God sends you, right? So the military, and I like this because you're here, military sent you to Pensacola. And when you got here, what'd you have? You have a bunk, you've got clothes, you've got shoes, you've got stuff, right? But if he decides, I'm going to go to the Air Force Base that I drove by in Charleston this week, which I didn't even know was there. It's a beautiful Air Force Base out there. And he shows up there and expects to have his bunk and his shoes and his provision and his finances. And they're like, you're not even supposed to be here, right? But how many Christians are in a church expecting God to show up when he's saying, that's not the church I want you to be in? You should really say, God, where do you want me to go to church? Right? And then once he says, you go there, right? And now you are at this base. You're in submission to the authority that's at that base. And you don't leave until the higher authority, which in this case is God, tells you to move to somewhere else. We don't pick the church we go to. If you're saying, I'm going to go to this church this Sunday, this church this Sunday, and this church this Sunday. You don't have understanding of the rules of the kingdom and the authority structure. And then you wonder, why is there no blessings? Because you're not where God's telling you to be. The blessing will pour out when you're in the place. See, if Abraham never left his father's house, he never reached the place where the blessing was. The blessing is in following after God. And then once he tells you to be there, you need to submit to it. Submit to the authority that's in place. In other words, recognize God put me here for a reason. I'm gonna put them and give them a place of authority in my life so that they can pray, which is why it's important not to just pick any random church because you're supposed to submit. If you pick some random church and submit to some random knucklehead that tells you to believe God for a million dollars when it's not a prayer of faith, you're gonna end up in trouble, right? Which is why you need to know, okay, God. But when he tells you and you're obedient and then you do it and then you submit to it, that blessing starts, that everything lines up all the way up. Everything lines up, amen? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these people that you've sent here today. Father, I know that you have people that are called to this place, that are called to this church. Father, I just call them in right now from the north, south, east, and west. Father, direct our feet this week and put us in a place to witness to people, to share your love to them and to tell them there is a church that God has for them where they can come and they can be loved and they can grow, Father, that they can understand the rules of the kingdom so that they can be more successful in this game we call life. Father, thank you for laying it all out for us, for giving us the rule book to play by, for showing us, Father, the benefits of the kingdom of heaven and how to live in that perfect kingdom while still on this earth. Father, how to walk it out, how to spread your love. Father, I thank you as we spend time praying, as we spend time pressing into you, that you will increase our prayer life. Father, the desire to spend time with you, the desire to abide with you will grow strong in every person within the sound of my voice. Father, they will know I need to press into him more. I need to set aside time for him. I need to honor him first. I need to put him first, Father. And as they do, as they seek you, Father, they will find you. And you have blessings for them. You have compassion, love, forgiveness, all of the good joy, Father. Joy, unspeakable joy that you have in store for them when they seek after you, Father. 
You're not hiding. You said, if you'll seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Speak to us as your congregation. Father, as a living word, Pensacola, and we are in submission to the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. Father, speak to us. If there's something we're doing we need to stop, we want to do that. If there's somewhere we need to go, we need to go, Father. Whether we have the resources or the energy to do it, we'll step out and believe by faith that you'll provide everything necessary to do what you've called us to do. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.